Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this day where we can stop working, rest, sit at your feet, be fed by your word, and follow you. And I pray, Lord, that this message in each and every one of our hearts would spur us on more than ever before in our lives to be fully committed followers of Jesus and that you would create us to be such. For in Jesus' name I pray, amen. I'm one of those guys that are IT nightmares. Um, you know, we have this, this wonderful Japanese gentleman who comes and services our computers at Christchurch. His name, he's Japanese, so his name is Takamumi Shakamoto, something like that. But uh, we call him Tak because it's absolutely unpronounceable in English. And he looked at, the first time he looked at my computer, he goes, what in the world? Yeah. You know, I go, what's the matter? And he said, why are all, your desktop is full of icons. All these folders, you gotta clean this up. I said, okay, guilty. You know, there's no wonder it's slow. I said, what do I need to do? So he taught me how to organize, so once a year, I kind of clean up my desktop, put the folders where they should be. I've got sermons stretching back to 1998 in the sermon folder, you know. I opened up, I preached on this at St. Paul's Bennettsville in 1998, and I looked at it and I go, nah, you know, those poor people, <laughs> you know, put up with me. God bless them. But my point is, and it th I thought about this as I looked at this message, if my life were my desktop, you know, I'd have them in the categories, right? I'd have the Jesus category in my walk with the Lord. I'd have the Kimmy category in my walk with her. I'd have my adult children category in my walk with them. I'd have my granddaughter category, you know, in my, my relationship with her. And then I would have my work category. I'd then have my golf category folder, you know. Can't wait to start that up again here, I guess, soon. Um, I'd have my music category, and including my guitar and, and that stuff, and how I use my time there. And I'd have my Sherlock category, you know, folder, boom, right there. And I share that with you because that's exactly what most of us do, but when we think about it, God has a different idea for us as we follow him as Peter, James, and John followed him. I invite you to open up with me in your Bible to so Luke chapter 5. If you're visiting with us, you can find it in the back of your bulletin. In reminder, we're in this sermon series this year in Luke. Every Sunday, except for a few Sundays in the Easter time afterward, we're going to be in Luke. And I've entitled it that you may be certain, taken from Luke chapter 1 verse 4, where Luke tells Theophilus, who he's writing to, that you may be certain. That Greek word is osphalia, which means nailed down shut, cannot be pried open. It, it carries with it an idea of peace and security. It's, the idea seems to be that he's writing Theophilus and he's saying, Theophilus, you've, you've been taught many things. I want you to know them for what they truly are. Real. Certain bolted down, shutting the door because this is so true that you know it down to the soles of your feet. 
Luke is trying to get them. They're safe from being stolen, safe from being changed by the culture. And so today we arrive at Luke chapter 5, verse 1. You notice we've left over uh, Jesus healing the demoniac, healing many, preaching in the synagogues from where we left off last week. Well, that's because in the other lectionary years, those are covered in Matthew and Mark. All right? Just letting you know. We, we, we believe in the scripture. We believe in preaching the whole word of God. But we're keeping an epiphany theme. And here, Jesus reveals himself powerfully because he's got a different purpose for his revealing. He needs men and women who are willing to follow him to change the world. And what we learn in this text is an amazing encounter. And it's an amazing text. Look at the verbs here. Pressing, standing, crowding, listening, washing, sitting, teaches. There's lots of activity going on here. So if you think this is one of those, meh, heard this before, no you haven't. This is life-changing gospel for each and every one of us if we'll open up our ears and attend to it. Right, let me change this, this is bothering me. And so what we have is it a historical encounter as Jesus is now out in the world. And what we learn, I think, are five great truths for us. Number one... There's the attraction of the Word of God. Two, there's the flexibility in the ministry of God. Three, there's the genuine response to the Word of God. Four, there's the typical invitation of God to His people. And last, there's the authentic ministry of God's people. Let me go over those again, for those of you who are taking notes. The attraction of the Word of God... There's the flexibility of the ministry of God. The genuine response, number three, to the word of God. There's the typical way of God's inviting us to join him. The, the, the typical invitation of God to people. And fifthly, the authentic ministry of God's people. So let's look at these. First, the attractiveness of the authentic word of God. Verse 1 of chapter 5, on one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. Notice Luke is saying on one occasion. He's not saying, you know, chapter 4 ends preaching in the synagogue, then this happened. Because this is an Eastern book, my friends. He just wants to make sure we realize, the reader recognizes, that he's recruiting his disciples at this, and he's recruiting his inner circle here. All right? His inner circle are fishermen, whom we know as Peter, James, and John. Simon has names, hasn't been changed yet. And what Jesus is doing is assembling a crowd. He's been having this crowd all the way to the Nazareth synagogue. He's kept his healing ministry and preaching and doing the word of God. So he's got quite a bit of people. Scholars say by Lake Gennesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee. You know, when you read the Bible, you need to pay attention to this. Because sometimes things are called different names. And it's, it's, just, it's just another way of saying the Sea of Galilee. It's Gennesaret. Just like Cleveland is Believe Land. Just like New York's the Big Apple. Philly's the city of brotherly love, and D.C. is the swamp, right? Okay? 
This is Gennesaret. It's the Sea of Galilee. And so what he's doing is they're pressing to hear the word of God. Because when God's word is handled responsibly and correctly, it is attractive and people will attend to it and desire to come and hear it. People have told me, Gene, I love it when you preach because your preaching makes me come alive. I'm like, no, it's God's word which is making you alive. Make sure you're reading it throughout the week and you're going to see it even more and more and more as we study and we live in community together. My friends, when God's word is unpacked, it is compelling, it's challenging, it's going to buck up against you and make you uncomfortable at times, but he loves you, and it's attractive. That's the first point that we see. It's the attractiveness of the authentic word of God. Secondly, we see the flexibility of God in the ministry of God. So... Jesus saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. So they're sitting there listening to the word of God. And this crowd is absolutely humongous. So Jesus keeps walking bad as he's pressing in on him. And his feet are starting to get wet. And he notices these boats right by there. And they all say SJ&J Fishing Company. (laughs) And he hops in S's boat. Now, Simon, James, and John have pulled up their nets for the evening because you fish at night. And they've pulled them up, they've washed, they've mended their nets, and they've put them away. And they're listening to him teach. And so it, was, it wasn't a, could, I, could you push me out a little bit? Because he could go out in the boat in the shallow water, sit down like a rabbi would, and teach and preach, and the whole crowd could not only hear him, but they could see him as his voice bounced across the water. In other words, Jesus looked around and said, this isn't working. I'm going to do what works to communicate the good news of the gospel. When I was a baseball coach in, in Maryland, it took me a while to figure this out, that high school athletes at times have the attention span of a gnat. All right? So we would just... All right, everybody huddle up right here. And so I'd run out to second base, and the whole team would come around second base. And you know, high school boys, you know, they're like this. And I'd say, give me eye contact, man. Look at me. And I wouldn't start talking until all 11, nine guys were looking at me. And it was effective. They actually did listen. And uh, all right, let's go do it. Boom, they go back to their positions, and we do the drill. It was an amazing revelation for me. Why it took so long for me to figure that out, I don't know. But the point is, it wasn't their fault. It was my fault. I needed to be flexible. And it's the same thing with Christian ministry, both Sunday morning ministry and the way we minister the gospel. When it comes to Sunday mornings, I think it's good for Anglican-type people to hear our statement of faith in the 39 articles. Article 34 of the traditions... I mean, this is written in the 1500s. Thomas Cramer writes, It is not necessary that customs and forms of worship be exactly the same everywhere. Throughout history, they have differed. They may be altered according to the differing nations, times, and habits of people, provided that nothing is commanded contrary to God's word. Isn't that great? That's why we have this service, my friends. We got input from people when we were at the middle school 
where we had two services, 8 and 10.30, we would take surveys of newcomers that would come, and several of them wouldn't come back. And they would say things like, Gene, I love you. I love, I love the people. I love the preaching. It's too Catholic for me. The robes, the collars, you know, and all that stuff. So I said, okay. Should God ever, and I said this to the search committee when I came here, should God give us growth, uh, we'll have a third service of morning prayer communion once a month with no robes and just preach the word. Less, a, little less, a little less formal, you know. And so we got to be flexible because if I took you to St. Helens Bishop's Gate in London, it looks a lot different than here in the west shore of Cleveland. Why? It's ministering to London culture. And we're trying to minister to the west shore culture. So as we continue to grow together and to minister together when it comes to Sunday corporate worship, if anything becomes a barrier, we need to be willing to let it go. And never say, well, when I grew up, we fill in the blank. Well, that was 1965. And it does, it's not effective anymore, right? We have to be flexible. We also need to be flexible with the way we minister to our neighbors. My friends, there's no silver bullet of ministry. You have to be willing to listen to the Lord and be flexible. We've all learned two ways to live, express your faith, some type of way to share your faith, just using Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the Roman road, evangelism explosion. And the reality is you can memorize all those evangelism forms and they're all good. You get in a gospel conversation with your friend and all of a sudden you realize, ah, this isn't going the way I thought. This is, this is not furthering the conversation, it's, it's, it's starting to butt up against opposition or, or whatever it might be. It's not working. That's because we need to listen. We need to be flexible and go where the Holy Spirit's leading us, not my own Bible-believing evangelical tradition. And Jesus shows that just by getting in Peter's boat and being flexible enough to say, well, you know what, I, I can preach off the shore. That'd work. I think it's important for us to get that. Third, we see the genuine response to the word of God. Verse 8. So Peter's been listening to Jesus preach. Jesus calls them to go out there and catch the fish, and they bring in the biggest catch they ever have. And as they're hauling them in, Peter says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John's sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Because when you come to hear the word of God, it's going to push up against you. It's going to convict you. Yes, Jesus was attractive, compelling. You wanted to be near him. But sooner or later, he's going to push up against you because he's God and you're not. And therefore, because he is, we yield our lives to him and not vice versa. But that's what Americans like to do. We like the hallmark Jesus. You know, the Jesus where there's chestnuts around an open fire. You know, the Jesus that, you know, I can, I can mold into my own image. The Jesus that I can get near to. No. When we sit at Jesus' feet and we hear him preach and we hear him teach... 
yes, we'll be warm to the things of God, but we'll also be convicted of how we need to make adjustments in our lives and say to him, in that area of my life, oh, Lord, I'm a sinner. That's the genuine response. That's the response we need as we continue to walk with Jesus. Fourth, we see the typical invitation that God gives to his followers. There are two invitations in this text. I don't know if you caught them. The first one is, hey guys, put out into the deep waters. What does Peter say? Uh, Lord, uh, we, we fished all night and we got nothing, you know? But then what does he say? You are who you are, and we'll, we'll go out. And so Peter, James, and John put their boats, they go out into the deeper water, and they bring in the biggest catch they ever have. Another typical invitation that Jesus gives is the second half of verse 10. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. Now, you hear these invitations, and we forget the radical invitations that they are. All right? For Jesus to say, go out into the deep end, uh, Lord, the, you ever worked a full shift, put all your equipment away, then the boss comes, we got to go back out, let's go. You're just so happy about that, aren't you? <laughs> Their nets are put away, they're mended, they didn't catch anything. And here's a carpenter telling them to go out in the deep water. It's crazy. And now, he says, don't be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men and women. Peter said, um, I'm a fisherman. I don't have an MDiv. I need to go to Bible college, you know, before I, I go and, and serve you, Jesus. And James and John could have said the same thing. But that's not the response. You see, when Jesus calls you to a relationship, because this isn't religion. This isn't Sunday-only Christianity. This is 365 days a year, full immersion and surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they get it enough to know he's calling, I should follow. And this is what happens throughout the scripture. You heard Carol read for us Gideon's call. It's, it's hilarious. Do you understand what he's saying? I'm from Manasseh. We're single A. I bench press nothing. My squat, I can't even squat the bar. And you're calling me to be a mighty warrior, Lord? Yes, he is. Gideon. Keep reading the story. Keep, it's, 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 every step with Gideon is an amazing unveiling that Gideon doesn't think he's worthy and God's saying, I'm calling you. Instead of thousands, you're going to take 300 into battle. Lord, we're outnumbered. Do as I say. Because that's what the Lord does with his people. When he calls you to obedience and walking in a relationship with him, what you think is crazy, is normative to him. That cantankerous classmate of yours, young people, that, that ornery uh, co-worker in your office, 
that neighbor who the whole neighborhood hates. All right? My friends, we're the only Bible they read. And when we get out into the world, it will feel crazy. But as we follow the Lord together, we'll recognize and we'll see God move in a similar way. But don't go with the Hallmark Jesus. Don't go with the, I want to get near to Jesus, Jesus, who doesn't push up against you at all. I don't know if you remember the John Denver Christmas special. I was a John Denver fan back in the day. I remember he said this one time, and it was what I thought at the time. He said, what's Christmas all about? It's not about religion. It doesn't matter what you believe. Religion is people loving people. See, that's when I feel near to God. Well, that's not the real God. Because every person who truly followed Jesus, oh, they got near to him, all right. But they got to know him. They got to minister with him. And he was totally uncontrollable. But it changed their lives for eternity. And abundant and fulfilling. Because that's what we have when you have a relationship with God. And finally, and fifthly, what we see is an authentic ministry of God's people. Verse 11, And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. They left everything and followed him. Obviously, the workers took over the SJ&J fishing company. And when you read the Gospels, you don't see the times that more than likely they came back home. It's not as if Peter ever didn't ever see his wife and children again. He did. But the point is, the focus was not fishing. It was now fishing for men with these guys. Peter, who had foot and mouth disease, it was impulsive. Yet, in the book of Acts, preached the word of God and 5,000 people came to faith in one day. The next day, 3,000 came to faith. Can you imagine? So I think this begs the question for each and every one of us. This is the big idea, I think, of the whole text. What, if anything, has happened to me that demonstrates to myself and others that I'm a fully committed follower of Christ. What, if anything, has happened to me that demonstrates to myself and to others that I'm a fully devoted follower of Christ? Because we like to have a Jesus icon along with all the other icons on our life's desktop, and Jesus says, no, you put all your life into my folder and run it through my gospel filter because of my love for you. It's not just a nice file that I open up, pull out on Sundays, close, and go to work on Monday. It's all of my life because Jesus is here to invade the privacy of our lives, my friends. Our thought life, our words, our deeds, to sit beside me and my lazy boy and watch what I'm watching 
to go with me to the movies, to sit at my side on the computer as I'm scrolling through the smartphone, to drive in my car as I go on sales calls, to sleep in my hotel room with me. He's in my jobs, in my homes, in my marriage, my hobbies, and has come into the distinctly uncomfortable realm of everything in my life. And any notion that I'm a Christian, or any notion that I can claim to know Christ and serve Christ, and to be able to isolate one aspect of my life from another, is absolutely opposite of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a Christian. So I close with what, if anything, has happened to me that demonstrates to myself and others that I'm a fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? Got some ideas. Are you still, after all these years, still in the shallow water? Having never put out into the deep, living in the fullness and abundance that Jesus came to supply you. I mean, Peter just followed and he preaches the word of God, and 5,000 people came to faith, I'll bet you it's at that moment that the fishing lesson came to mind. I am not fishing for fish. I'm, gonna, with, I'm not going to fish for men with bait and tackle. I'm going to fish for men and women with the word of God, which is alive. Not my fishing techniques. I bet you Peter got it. My friends, it's the same for us. And they left the greatest catch that they had ever seen in their lives. So in answering that question, how do our lives look different? And everybody's going to answer this differently. And of course, there's stages of life and different things that are going on in your lives that will prohibit some. But I think it's time to stop making excuses as the American church. How are our lives truly different? When's the last time any of us had a neighbor where we live, work, or play over to our house for coffee or dessert or dinner? When's the last time we truly served here beyond Sunday morning in a church ministry? We've got lots of things. You say, Gene, I don't know what to do. What do you love to do? What are you good at doing? Go do that here. Because God can be glorified as we minister together. And if we don't have that ministry, maybe God's called you to lead it. Being in the word of God, just a little bit each day. Praying a little bit each day. Serving among his people, not just some parachurch organization. They're great. They're super. But the point is, we go so 5,000 different directions, it's not clear what the gospel is from our community. What can we do? If we do that, all the folders get folded into the Jesus folder, my friends. In closing, uh, this is so sad, i got to sit down. Because I can hardly talk about it without crying about it. In the spring of 2006, for three years, I had been the assistant rector at Trinity Church in Beaver, Pennsylvania. I hate to tell you, I loved Pittsburgh. I loved the Penguins. We got free tickets. People would just give us Penguins tickets. My boys were playing hockey. The ice arena was five minutes from my home. I loved that community. 
We were doing awesome ministry, and the church experienced some growth. And so my rector, Carl Neely, said, I want, I believe you're going to be called to be the next rector here. So from my second to third year there, he was grooming me. I preached every other week. Every other week. It was great responsibility. Well, it came to the point Carl was going to announce his retirement, and he said, okay, we're going to form the search committee. The first person you need to interview is Gene. I go and I share my vision that the Lord had laid on me. The exact same vision I shared with you guys in our search committee here at St. Barnabas Christ Church. Exact same one. These guys who were my friends, who I administered with, looked at me and said, Gene, that's not for us. It's, it's, it's too big a vision. Beaver's not so much a place as it is a state of mind. What does that mean? Snobby? Cold? Unresponsive to the gospel? Tell me. I went home and told Kimmy, and she was crushed. We had an ice week in our backyard. Kids in the neighborhood would come play at my yard. It was so cool. I guess the Lord's going to call us somewhere else. Cleveland? I've been talking smack about y'all for eight years. You know, Cleveland sucks, man. It was awesome. I couldn't believe it. They said, and in my exit interview, Gene, do you have anything you'd like to share with us? I said, yeah, I do. When you hire your next guy, you need to hire a low church evangelical guy who's going to push you, who's going to preach God's word to you. And you have to make sure that your faith isn't a Sunday-only faith. It's going to stretch you. Average Sunday attendance upon our time leaving in 2007 was about 150 on Sunday. Jeff Davis, Gabe Borchert, Bob Middlemas all heard me come, saw me preach there in that context. There is a for sale sign in front of that church. It's closed. It's closed. It took 12 years to go from 150 to none. Why? They were Bible-believing people. They didn't love their neighbors. They wouldn't open up their homes. They wouldn't share. My friends, that will happen to us if we don't allow this good news to penetrate our lives in every aspect of it. And I swear to God Almighty, I won't let that happen here. We're going to love the Lord. We're going to lift Jesus high. We're going to love our neighbors. Come follow me. And we're going to do life together in groups. You can't do this by yourself. You've got to get into a group of some kind. We've got all kinds. We'll talk about that later. I am heartbroken at that news. Because I love those people. I love that community. And I'm still a Penguins fan. My friends, if we will avail ourselves like Peter, James, and John and follow him that way, not perfectly, because they're not perfect. You know, Peter denied Jesus, right? Okay? James and John's mom 
followed their ministry? Why didn't they turn around and say, Mom, please go home. You're killing me. You're cramping my style. No. She goes to Jesus and says, uh, when you come into your kingdom, let my boys be your right-hand man. And he, Jesus is like, lady, you don't even know what you're talking about. These men are far from perfect, but oh, God accomplished mighty things through these disciples. May we yield our lives in such a way, not perfectly, but for his glory and ultimately the abundant life and the fulfilling life that we're all truly looking for. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful once again that you've called us in your word as your disciples as 21st century fishermen and women to go and to go fishing. And Lord, this word reminds us that uh, although none of us do it perfectly, we, you can receive glory through imperfect lives such as ours. And I pray if there be any one individual here this morning that has yet to fully receive you as Savior and Lord, totally by your grace, not by anything we do apart from our works, I pray that this would be the day they relinquish their lives over to you. And Lord, then they walk with you, that we all would walk with you because we're sanctified, set apart by your grace. And we're, it's by that grace we grow and love and serve give our lives up to the foolishness which is the gospel because the world always looks at us crazy that's normal and i pray that you would give us greater and greater confidence in this word so that you would indeed receive the glory and we would see revival break out in our hearts and through our lives for years to come for generations to come here at christ church so that this community would bring you honor and glory from this day forward, in Jesus' name we pray, amen.